Well, we are going to, to, to wrap up our teaching series on uh, loving like Jesus loved uh, with 1 Corinthians 13 and laying that across the, the backdrop of the, the, the life of, of Jesus. But before we dive into that, I did just want to take just a moment and, and, and celebrate and say uh, thank you. And uh, this is the season for uh, Operation Christmas Child. And it's been just a great, uh, great uh, time of just being able to, to, to share uh, very tangibly uh, the love of of Christ, and uh, uh, you see some pictures uh, on the screens from last Sunday night, kind of in the back of this space, had a had a huge uh, packing party with the student ministry, and uh, some of the children and uh, families, and Christy, you see out there, she does such an awesome job in helping to, to organize that, and uh, Ashley gave such great oversight to our OCC as a whole this year, uh, but we, we can celebrate, uh, we had, uh, I think, another slide up there somewhere, uh, uh, we had, uh, uh, actually that number's a little low, boxes have come in, but uh, at least uh, 1680 plus uh, uh, shoe boxes from the First Baptist family, including a thousand plus uh, that were packed a Sunday night. And so thank you. Uh, thank you for making that possible. That's huge. That's huge to see that many boxes going out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's, let's just celebrate that and, and yay God. And, and just to, to put that into context, you made that possible not just by the, the boxes you personally packed and many of you brought, uh, but, but even the, as you give through a budget, uh, or some gave even some special gifts to help purchase supplies that went into some of those boxes that were packed the other Sunday night. Uh, I, I know that the OCC, I know there were some articles in some of the world's <laughs> newspapers uh, criticizing it and that sort of thing, but, but, but listen, it not only shares just kind of a, a little joy of, of opening a box and having presents for kids. Uh, but it, it's always in partnership with, with local churches. Uh, it's in partnership with those who are going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're excited uh, about gifts, uh, dolls or balls or whatever it may be, coloring books, but we're most excited about the greatest gift of all, and that's the gift of Jesus Christ. And so thank you. Uh, thank you for making that possible. And sometimes the shoeboxes can go uh, with the message of Christ in some places where, where it's not easy to access. And so you make that possible. And so thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. And I just thought it might be appropriate for us just to take a moment and just, just to pray. Just to pray for those boxes that, uh, that uh, we got to be a part of, of sending. And they're already uh, you know, up at Charlotte and the processing center there and then uh, moving out. And, and just pray that God will direct those and use those. So would you just, uh, just focus with me in just a moment. Let's just pray toward that end. Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you uh, that we have been blessed with so, so, so much, and this Thanksgiving season is upon us, and, and uh, Lord, we know our, our blessings are so abundant, and it doesn't diminish a challenge uh, that we may have in our life, but it just recognizes we've been blessed, and, and Lord, we know that whenever you bless us, it's, it's in part for us to be a blessing, and so Father, thank you. Uh, for just this one tangible way uh, to hopefully be a blessing to others. Thank you for so, so many in this fellowship that helped to make that possible. And Father, we pray uh, for those boxes that have gone forth from this place. Lord, we pray knowing that uh, you already know what's in each box. Uh, you know uh, the, the country, you know the community, you know the child uh, that is going to receive that. 
And Father, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would use that. You would use the, an open box to open a heart to you, and not only of a child, but of a family, of a community. Father, we pray that as uh, these boxes go forth, there would just be that, that hand of God's Spirit upon it uh, to open hearts and minds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that, that we can be a part uh, of joining you on mission across the street and around the world. Father, continue to open our eyes and open our hearts, open our mouths for opportunities to point other people to you. And Lord, we pray this together now with gratitude and with expectation in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we've been talking about love like Jesus loved. And the essence of that is, as we kind of try to sum up some of it last week, it is to, to be toward others the way that Christ has been toward us. To be toward others the way that Christ has been toward us. And as we've looked at some of the aspects listed there of love in 1 Corinthians 13, those verbs, those action words, we've seen those modeled in the life of Christ. And it's how Christ modeled for us and how Christ loves us. And we want to learn one last love lesson from Christ this morning. And it's about the reality that love trusts. And to walk into that, I want to start with a question. Would you still trust God if? Would you still trust God if? Would you still trust God if you had to leave your family behind and travel halfway around the world in order to follow his call on your life? What if you followed that call and your plans for serving God failed? Would you still trust him then? What if you were abandoned and ended up all alone what if you had to die a miserable death? What then? Would you still trust God if you lost everything you had in life, including life itself? September 7th, 1850. Seven British missionaries set sail from Liverpool. Under the leadership of Captain Alan Francis Gardner, a decorated veteran of the Royal Navy, they were bound for Patagonia at the southernmost tip of South America. They had six months of provisions and high hopes for the work of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Yet the trip ended in total failure. The natives were hostile. The climate was harsh and unforgiving. The resupply ship failed to arrive until it was much too late. So the missionaries died one by one. The party surgeon was Richard Williams. And when his body was later recovered, the search party also found his diary. And on the last page of his diary was his dying testimony to his undying faith in Jesus Christ. Picture the man, a doctor, huddled up in the hull of a little boat, suffering from scurvy, and writing... The following words is his last testament. Should anything prevent my ever adding to this, let my beloved ones at home rest assured that I was happy beyond all expression 
the night I wrote these lines and would not have exchanged situations with any man living. Let them also be assured that my hopes were full and blooming with immortality, that heaven and love and Christ, which mean one and the same divine thing, were my soul, that the hope of glory filled my whole heart with joy and gladness, and that to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Richard Williams trusted God no matter what. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to respond a little bit differently than we might normally do. And I'm just going to pray that you would just even now begin to say, God, I want to just be wide open to what you want to say to me and how I need to respond to it today. 1 Corinthians 13 says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, some have, have read those words in the, the English translation, and, and sometimes we, we look at that one phrase, believes all things, and it, it kind of makes us wonder, well, does that mean I'm like just supposed to believe everything about everybody? And I mean, what's going on there? Well, please don't misunderstand the phrase. It does not mean that love is gullible, right? <laughs> Uh, sometimes we say, well, love is blind, and, and sometimes we get caught up in the emotion or our focus. Sometimes we don't see things clearly. Uh, but love, God-honoring, God-given love is not gullible. In fact, is that's what Jesus taught, and that's what he modeled, right? Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us Jesus, pouring into the life of his disciples, said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. There's no gullibility here, right? I mean, you're walking into a world of wolves, <laughs> eyes wide open. Be as shrewd or as wise as a serpent, even as you're as innocent as a dove. Jesus himself knew who to entrust himself to. John's gospel says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people. Jesus was not gullible. Love that he calls us to is not gullible. Well, then what does it mean that love believes all things? Well, some take it to mean that it's best understood that believes the best about others. And that, that's, that's a great sentiment, is it not? I mean, uh, to, to believe the best about others. Sometimes we, we talk about filling the gap with trust, that uh, sometimes we have an expectation the way somebody's going to behave, what they're going to do, what they're going to say. And, and sometimes they don't live up to that. They don't fulfill that. There's a gap between our expectations and what we see or what we heard, what we experienced. And the question is, what are you going to fill that gap with? Are you going to fill it with a judgment, suspicion, cynicism? Are you going to fill that gap with, with, with a sense of, of questioning their motives or their character? Are you going to fill the gap with trust? Uh, maybe there's something I don't understand. And maybe there's something that hasn't been communicated. Maybe there's something that's unclear. Maybe there's things I, I haven't seen or heard yet. 
And that doesn't mean you're gullible, but it means you press into that to discover why the gap, but you initially fill the gap with trust. That's a great way to live. It's a great way to operate in our working relationships and our relationships with family and friends. Fill the gap with trust. But I think when you come to that phrase, believe all things, it, it's more than just believing the best about others. In fact, is most commentators feel like it has more to do with, with the perseverance of our faith. You see, the phrase love, believes, or trust all things can also be translated loves and tr- believes and trusts always. So that it points us uh, not, not to like this, this subject, but it uh, points us to the perseverance of our faith. That, that love continues to trust. Love continues to believe. Love continues to endure. Love continues to hope. There is a perseverance of love's faith. Gordon Fee put it this way. Love has a tenacity. Love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables it to live in every kind of circumstance and continually pour itself out in behalf of others. Richard Williams had that tenacious faith. He had a tenacity in the present because he had an absolute confidence in the future. And that enabled him to handle even the most difficult situation and continue to pour himself out on behalf of others. But the ultimate example of that is Jesus himself. And I want us to look at really the final moments, of you, if you will, of Jesus on the cross. And particularly one phrase this morning. To see manifest this trusting love of Jesus Christ, this persevering love and faith. Peter, who had a front row seat, of Jesus' life and ministry, talked about who he entrusted himself to. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In the face of opposition, in the face of of suffering, in the face of being reviled and threatened, he continued to persevere. He continued to believe. He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. And you see that so clearly on the cross. In Luke's gospel, the 23rd chapter, verse 46 is Jesus hangs on the cross, and darkness hangs over the land. It's about the sixth hour, and until the ninth hour, this darkness was there. The curtain is torn in the temple. And then Jesus, verse 46, calling out with a loud voice, said, quoting from the Psalms, Father, into your hands I commit my Spirit. This was not a whisper. This was not a whimper. This was a a loud cry of, of bold, persevering, tenacious faith that he was entrusting himself. He was in this moment entrusting his soul. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And from that one phrase, we we see the trusting love of Jesus. Notice what he was entrusting. Jesus trusted that God was there. 
He trusted that God was there. Even as he was undergoing all of this suffering, the physical suffering, the mental suffering, the emotional suffering, the spiritual suffering as he took, we talked about a week or so ago, that cup of God's wrath upon him. As he took all of that there, he still understood God was there. God was there. And he could cry out to him in a loud, even confident voice. He trusted that God was there. But notice how he addressed God in this moment. Earlier he had cried out as he absorbed the the wrath of sin. My God, my God. And now he says, Father. He not only trusted that God was there, but he trusted in God as Father. This was not just some powerful being. (laughs) This was not just some some thing that had set things in motion who was not personally relating to him. This was Abba, Father. God who was there. And a God who cared like a father cares for his children. But Jesus trusted in life after death, didn't he? He trusted, hey, this this cross is not going to have the final word. That in a moment, my body, this physical body is going to, the heart is going to cease to beat and the lungs are going to cease to draw air and the blood has already been lost, so much of it. But that is not the final word. That is not the end of life. That there is a life that transcends the, the, the ceasing of functioning of a physical body. And in that moment, as he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was just entrusting himself to the fact that this wasn't it. That life still went on. That there was life, a new level of existence ahead. But I think you can see in these words that he also trusted in the Father's love. In the Father's love. Hey, you don't take that which is so precious to you and entrust it to somebody that you don't think loves you and cares for you, right? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. The most precious thing that he had to commit at that point, he trusted in the Father's love so much that he could entrust it to him. He trusted in the Father's love. And I think we can fairly read into the text that he trusted that his death would atone for sin. That what he had done with his life was not in vain. That what he had done was, was right and aligned with the will of the Father and it was going to have its intended purpose and its intended effect. And, and that there was life beyond and there was a victory that was being won right there on the cross. And as he entrusted in his last moments, he entrusted every moment of his life to the Father. And we press into the question, what? What is it that enabled Jesus to trust as he hung on that cross? As he endured everything that he endured up to that moment? And by this time in the series, the answer shouldn't surprise us, we hope. Love. Love. You could say his love for us, but I think even more important, his knowledge 
that he was loved by the Father. You see that throughout his public ministry at the beginning, this voice from heaven. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. At the, at the, the, the time of, of transfiguration, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This affirmation of the love of the father for the son. And as he prayed that high priestly prayer before his arrest, praying for his disciples to his father, he prayed, Father, you love me before the foundation of the world. It was the sure knowledge of God the Father's love for him that enabled him to fulfill his purpose, his ministry, to hang on the cross. Having this kind of love starts with knowing, with knowing how much God loves you. If I'm going to be able to love like Jesus loved, I have to know that I'm loved the way that Jesus knew that he was loved. And he, he wanted us to know that, didn't he? Uh, he's John's gospel, for the Father himself loves you. He told the disciples this, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on, on how you have produced. But it is based on God's character. It is who he is and he has chosen in grace, in mercy, to fix his love upon you. And perhaps for some of us, one of the, the, the earliest verses we came to recognize, or for some of you maybe even to memorize, was John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that we can face anything in life and yes even death with the certainty of the love that the father has for us Lewis Meads put it this way the deepest motive for believing is the awareness of being loved by God. I, I know we could talk about evidences of the resurrection. I know that we can, can walk into nature and, and, and just be overwhelmed by the power and the creativity of God. Whether you go on, the, on a large macro level looking at the universe and how fine-tuned this, this thing is just to make life possible, you begin to recognize the power of God. Or if you go on a micro level and you begin to look at, at the structure of a body and then down to the DNA and all of those things, we marvel at the creative power and the genius of God. And, and all of that may help to convince you that there is a God. But the deepest motive for believing, for trusting, for entrusting, is not just the power of God, but it is being loved by God. To know that I am loved. And so as Jesus faced 
imminent death on the cross. He cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because he was convinced of the Father's love. And throughout the, the pages of church history, men and women have uttered similar words as they came to that point of death. Perhaps the first was Stephen, recorded for us in Acts 7. As he was being martyred, he looked up, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And on and on goes the roll call. Polycarp, martyred with those same words on his lips. Luther and Melanchthon, Jerome of Prague, John Huss, when Huss was condemned by the Council of Constance in 1415, the presiding bishop said, and now we commit thy soul to the devil, to which Huss calmly replied, I commit my spirit into thy hands, Lord Jesus Christ, unto thee I commend my spirit, which thou hast redeemed. But there is one other example that we'll lift out of the pages of history. And it's of a teenage girl, Lady Jane Grey. Lady Jane Grey, through some palace intrigue, was for nine days the Queen of England. That is, before she was tossed aside by Mary, who sometimes history knows as Bloody Mary. She was imprisoned and threatened to death if she did not renounce her faith in Christ. But as a teenager, still, she refused to. She was led to the place of execution. And she mounted the, the scaffold, and it's an artist rendering of those moments. She knelt. She said, I die as a true Christian woman, and I look to be saved by no other means, but only by the mercy of God and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. She knelt and recited the 51st Psalm as a confession of her sins. And her executioner was so moved by what he saw that he knelt beside her and asked for her forgiveness, which she granted. Then she said, I pray you dispatch me quickly. And they tied a handkerchief around her eyes. And she felt for the block and laid her head down with the words, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. Lady Jane Grey was still but a teenager. Now, most of us will dry, die far, far less dramatically. But unless Christ returns, we will all die. And the question is, how can I face that moment? 
And the only way to face that moment is the way that Lady Jane Grey did. Entrusting myself to the mercy of God and the perfect provision of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And our hope and prayer today is that there would not be anybody that could leave this room without knowing that hope. It would be our honor and privilege to talk to you about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ before you leave this room today. A hope that is realized as we understand God's unearned, unmerited love for us that was expressed most clearly on the cross of Jesus Christ as he died in my place to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be forgiven of my sin and restored to a right relationship with him. And my response to that love is to acknowledge the reality of my sin, to turn from a a selfish and self-directed life and to turn and place my faith and trust not in my good deeds or my religion or my morality, but in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ and to entrust myself to him, my past, my present, my future, to entrust myself to him as my rescuer, my savior, and my leader and my Lord, to commit my life to him. And we invite you, we implore you to do that today. But let me press in on this just a little bit further. Because when we come to a love that believes always and endures always and hopes always, it's not just for the sweet by and by, but it's for the nasty here and now, isn't it? And the phrase, Father, into your hands I commit, is not just for the last moments of our life but it is through for all of the moments of our life. And today, we want to invite you to do just that. For some of you here this morning, you need to come before a God who loves you and say, Father, I don't understand it. I don't fully grasp it. But Father, into your hands I commit my health. I commit this next medical report. Father, into your hands I commit my finances. Father, for some of us in this room, for some of us we need to say, Father, into your hands I commit my child. I commit a grandchild. I I commit uh, a friend. I I commit uh, maybe a a spouse, someone who is, is running away from you, somebody who is ignoring you. Father, into your hands I commit. Maybe it's an unknown future. Maybe God's brought you to a transition point. You just have to say today, Father, into your hands I commit my fill in the blank. And so this is what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to spend some time just committing some things to the Lord. 
And as Brian comes back, he's just going to play softly. This is what I'm going to invite you to do. I've already done this in an earlier service. But we're going to invite you to take a physical step. Even as Jesus physically hung on a cross as he uttered those words, we're going to just open up some space and some time this morning for you to physically move. Just to come, maybe with open hands. And as folks did in an earlier service, they just just covered this front area as folks just came and, and kneeled all over. And they just came with whatever God was stirring in their heart. Just to say, Father, into your hands I commit my. And so we're just going to give each other permission and space this morning to come to an altar area. And I know it's just a physical space. But a change of physical posture sometimes enhances and enables kind of a change of spiritual posture. And so I'm just going to invite you today just to seize an opportunity. Now, we don't do this every Sunday. But to seize an opportunity just to come and say, Father, into your hands I commit. Let me get started with a voiced prayer and then we're just opening up the altar. Father, we open ourselves to you right here, right now. Lord, just I, I pray, Lord, that perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love breaks down pride. And Father, I pray that there would be no fear of what anybody else might think. No pride of, that would keep us from fully responding to you in these moments. And Father, you know our lives. And you know what it is we need to bring before you right now. And so, Father, we just give you these next few moments. Father, into your hands I commit my. Would you just come? Maybe you just need to grab somebody by the hand and say, would you go? Would you pray with me? But just come right now. Our altar's open. Whatever it is between you and the Father, you just come. Committed unto him. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. The more we understand it, the more overwhelmed we become by it. Father, thank you 
that we can bring all of these things and bring them to an altar. Representative of bringing them to our Abba Father. So, Father, into your hands we commit these things. Into your hands we commit our life, our soul, our all. Father, thank you. This week, even in the face of all that we're dealing with, teach us to love like Jesus loved. Show us how to continue to persevere in your love. We pray this together now. In Christ Jesus most holy name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with us if you would.